Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Uh, before I get to any of my stuff, uh, it, it, it any questions about what we what was just read? Um, obviously, the, the stuff that went through uh, our Torah portion we dominantly the focus for what I'm covering today, but uh, the principles, however, are pretty pretty universal here. Yeah, Rose, right here. Uh, go ahead, I, Rose. I did notice one thing that I thought was kind of humorous: that uh, when the children were bad, they belonged to Moses, and when they were good, <laughs> they belonged to God. It's almost like a, a typical, those are your kids. You better go discipline <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It is funny. It is funny. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I think there's actually a reason for it. Uh, now, this is, this is my personal opinion why this is the case. I, I can't say it is certain, but I think it is. Um, God took claim of his own son. This is my son who I'm all pleased, right? Well, what made that son unique is that he obeyed him. He, he's obedient to God's ways that God taught him through suffering as it is recorded, that he learned obedience. And that made him, obviously, God's son. Uh, not, not just biologically, but as far as spiritually too. Well, in this instance, if, I, if somebody chooses to not follow God, he's going to say, well, that's not my son or daughter or whatever. Uh, they're, 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 in, 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 in a spiritual sense, as far as I'm not taking claim because they're not mimicking me. The, the, the whole idea Messiah gave was that if you saw me, you saw the father, not because he was a father, rather because he represented him and that he acted like him. Does that make sense? So I think that's probably a reason why God was doing that. He, he did it a couple of times, actually. That, that's just one of them. Or at least it's recorded a couple of times. It might be the same instance. Exodus records it and Deuteronomy records it. Same thing that these are people that you brought out because if they're acting like you, <laughs> not like me, <laughs> poor Moses. Yeah, it, it is comical. It is funny uh, that, yeah, when they're disobedient, they're your kids. When they're obedient, they're mine. Uh, it's kind of kind of comical. But uh, it got us a sense of humor too, I'm sure. Although I don't think he was terribly laughing at that moment in time. Well, yeah, good parent. I see. You have a good parent, right? Uh, yeah. Any comments or questions around this, 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 this portion? Uh, we got Anne right here. Is, is Go ahead, that, Anne. Is that why mom says, you wait till your father gets home. <laughs> I heard that a lot as a kid growing up. Not necessarily to me, but to my siblings as, as well. But yeah, just wait till dad gets home. Oh, crud. <laughs> he spanks harder. <laughs> That's not fair. I don't have mom do it. She's soft. Um, yeah, I, I can't say why parents do it today, obviously, for the same reasons. You're not acting like me. I'm not taking ownership for you uh, type, of, type of principle. Uh, it's probably uh, somehow connected, I, I'm sure. <laughs> And we um, have uh, yeah. Alex. Yeah, uh, Go ahead, Alex. I'm still on the first century deep dive, which has a lot to do with Paul or uh, disagreement with Paul. So I, I, I've got to be careful. I try not to read it because 
you know, I get up there and read. I was hoping Jeff would say someone else can read that because I, I'm I'm like I don't get this guy half the time. Okay, he, he just you know. Anyway, I'm sure you'll make perfect yeah. sense of it for me. Thank you. No, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, Paul Paul's uh, writings are it can be uh, complex, and because the complex because there is the somebody like me. I'm a very literal person. Everything about me is. It's this or it is that. And so being very literal, it's hard to go from a literal to a spiritual concept because I, I, have, to, I, have, to, I have to apply them back to a literal. And so it's, that's how my mind works. And so I'll be honest with you, Paul can be confusing because if you take him straight up as English writ, written literal, it's like, what? Is, what? That makes no sense. Because um, it, 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 it contradicts the actual literal written word it, it, if, if you take him literally. And he doesn't write that way because he doesn't think that way. And that's what makes it very complicated when you deal with different authors. Um, he thinks the spiritual concept strictly, almost, almost exclusively. Um, it, so it, it's a little bit a little complex. I might be able to get through it. We'll, we'll have to see. But uh, what I want to point out, is, which actually we're going to talk about this topic a lot today, the Philippians 2, when he discusses um, in verse uh, 3 and 4, where he, where he kind of introduction that, that part of that chapter, that's a, that's a big factor, a big component, which we'll talk about a bit of the Torah portion, uh, because it, comes, it talks about that such a matter in, in a couple of different ways, a couple of different matters in, in, in how it came up. I'm not strictly in the Torah portion alone, but how the Torah portion was applied later on. And so it's that topic that he's addressing in those first few verses regarding that specific issue, um, which is one of the reasons why it's tied to this Torah portion. Well, one of the reasons. Any comments or questions first before we go into my little spiel? No. We're, all, we're all good here. Okay, um, let's, let's go through this real quick. Uh, actually, not real quick. I, by the way, I'm trying to slow down my speaking. I'm a very t- fast talker. So if I start talking too fast, Feel free to say, Daniel, slow down. Uh, I got tagged on that last uh, two weeks, three weeks ago, whatever it was, at uh, at at services here because I presented Jeremiah and I I spoke fast and half the audience could hear. Daniel, okay, let's go through this. Daniel, yeah, go ahead. you don't have to worry about that with us. We're from California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I won't go there. Okay, so let's hear. We are in. Uh, so go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter seven. Uh, it's obviously 7 through 25, or verse 12 through 11-25. So there's a couple of de- details we're going to go through here. Uh, first of all, there's an overarching concept or arching concept be- behind the, 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 the principles that Moses is talking about. So one of the basic fundamentals, we all know this really well, this is our foundation uh, as, as followers of God, is the promise originally given to Abraham. So the principle being, this is in, in Genesis uh, 16, it's 18, sorry, 18. And the principle being that God selected Abraham because he said, Abraham is faithful in his household, faithful in, in, in his obedience, and would teach his children. That's the basic foundation why the people of Israel were selected. So, why the promise was given to them. As Moses points out here, uh, it's not because you guys are righteous, you're not holy, you know, that you're great, anybody else, far from it. You're the most stubborn, rotten people as far as it comes to rebelliousness that there is. Uh, but because of Abraham, the promise given to Abraham, you get selected for this job to fill in the, as my son pointed out, the empty void space I'm making when I expel out the Canaanites because they're too disgusting to tolerate. So it's not that you guys are great. 
it's the the merit that Abraham earned, and I may say merit that he earned because he earned it by being willing and obedient to teach his children and his household. That's what the, that's about earning. I mean, the Abraham earned by righteousness of the sort. He earned it by he was willing to actually teach and impart the information to his children and his household. That's what mattered to God. And as, as it points out, that's what God says, and I loved him for it because that's what he did. So that's the overall basic foundation we're dealing with here. So in this foundation, to contrast, I've mentioned this before, Jeff has mentioned also the past, um, contrast the foundation of Abraham as Lot was the opposite, or Lot, name was the opposite in that he was obedient himself, but did not teach his children. So there's, you could be obedient to God's ways and not teach your kids, or you could be obedient to God's ways and teach your kids. He selects the ones who teach their kids, not the ones who don't teach your kids. So Lot, therefore, was not selected. Um, so th- th- these, are, these are important principles. I say this because Moses essentially is telling them, the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, this, in, in Ekev, that he wants you to make sure that you teach your children accordingly as far as you, you obey this, this, this methodology, this way of life. So in this process, so starting in verse 12 of chapter 7, uh, should reward, this should be the reward for you when you hearken to these ordinances and you observe and perform them. Yehovah your God will safeguard you for the covenant, the kindness that he swore to your forefathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, your grain, your wine, your oil, offspring, cattle, yada, yada, yada. You get the point. So the reward. So we too often, I should say we, that's not fair because I don't, I don't, I can't speak for your own personal thoughts. Um, in my own head, I hear somewhat frequently that we say that, that is, is said, oh, well, I'm saved. I have my salvation. Here's the gift from God. I'm done. Okay, that's good. That's important. That's fundamental. But God has more blessings than just the one. Okay. <laughs> salvation or saving is one major, major gift blessing. But there's more to, to that. He actually has other things he can give. Imagine from what you had a parent. Obviously, all the parents at one point in time, but they had a gift for you. And let's say they had, I don't know, I'll make this up, uh, a couple dozen gifts in their bag, whatever, just imagine the bag is. And you as a kid only perceive they have one gift. Therefore, they give one gift to you. You say, yay, thanks, mom and dad, or whatever, and then go off and play or whatever, enjoy your gift. That's great. But there's more. And the point is that there's more is what we all depend upon. Because if I have salvation, I'm making this up, of course. Let's pretend I have salvation, which means I get my everlasting life. This is great. Wonderful. Thank you, God. That is a blessing. But imagine for a minute living forever, everlasting life, and my life was in everlasting, in misery. I still got salvation, everlasting life, but I'm miserable. It's, it's, it's a terrible life. It's awful. It's, it's, in, it's in despair and pain and agony. I wouldn't call that a blessing anymore, would I? And nor I would think any of you. Because salvation by itself is a great gift, but it has to be qualified with salvation in what? What am I getting out of it? What, what, what is the gain here? What is the value here? Imagine like the whole Catholic tradition of you know, purgatory for forever, which is absurd. But that the philosophy being that, that well, you, you, you live forever in misery and destruction and pain and everything else. 
to, to somehow torture you for forever, which is ridiculous. But that's the, that's the concept comes for that. Well, that's not the principle that would not be a, you would get saved because you, 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 you live forever. You get the gift of everlasting life in misery. And you say, well, death would be better than this. So take your gift back and I'd rather die. So that's how we would think. So there's more to life than just salvation. So in those other things of life, we have rewards, gifts, blessings. We call them blessings in modern day English language. Or they're, they're, they're gifts that God gives us. As those blessings, of course, like answered prayers, for example, are a blessing. Uh, the, the food, clothing, shelter, those are all blessings that God gives to us. Those are beyond or not just salvation. Those are components we want or desire. So in this case, so we have this, this, is your, this should be your reward, meaning to receive these other blessings. We're not discussing salvation. That's a gift. The other blessings, you would receive them when you listen to, hearken to, and respond. The ordinances, you observe and perform them. Then you, God will safeguard you for the covenant of the kindness he swore to your forefathers. So to get the other blessings, which is the rewards, which are, you know, no infertility, you know, land, you have you know, the crops, the prosperous, the things that you need, no disease. Like, those, those, are, those are rewards, they're blessings. To get those, they are dependent upon something. What are they dependent upon? Dependent upon us listening to, hearkening to, which means to hear and respond or to obey, uh, to the, these ordinances, which are these structures, which God, which, these, these rules God's giving, uh, as well as you observe them, which means actually to, to pay attention to them and then. Uh, I'll perform them, actually do them. So you're going to do list of the ordinances, observe the ordinances, and then actually do them. That's how you get the other blessings that God has in store for us, which is a great, great gift. That's what we want. It's a desirable thing. Um, so even though we think of salvation as you know, the, the greatest thing, which is, but there's a whole lot more to it. Uh, than just salvation alone. So it's just one of the one of the great things. But if 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 our if our if our everlasting life was it was terrible, forever in misery would not be a salvation. It would be a, a disaster. Uh, we would consider that in modern day um, uh, Catholic tradition, we call it hell. Kind of thing. Not that that's not the Jewish Jewish law. Jewish hell just means death. But in this case, it, in Catholic tradition, it would not be. Uh, okay, so let's go through this a little bit. So that's the basic principle. So the basic principle is these are gifts. Independent of Messiah's salvation, we're just dependent upon. These are separate ones. Then to go along with, or they augment, or assist, or help that salvation, make it worthwhile living. Let's drop down a little bit. So uh, in verse seventeen, so amongst these gifts, one of the principles being that okay, now you have this land before you, which you're about to give this 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 promised land. In Christianity, we call it. You know, heaven. <laughs> you have heavens before you, uh, but the promised lands before you, the promise of God's before you. Uh, so, in this principle, you have this before you. Perhaps you'll say in your heart, these nations, those who, that means those who bar your way, are more numerous than I. How I'll be able to derive them out? Now, this problem came up with the 10 spies. Well, actually, technically, there were 12 spies, but 10 spies went against God's you know, promise. And two, Joshua and Caleb said, Yay, we like, we like this promise. This scenario happened then at that time, which we already went through like a month ago, whatever it was, uh, discussing the, the, in, in the book of Numbers regarding the 10 spies. Now, they ran across these nations were huge, physically tall people, that is, not to say numerous. They could have been numerous. They didn't say the, say the numbers, but they said they were very physically tall people, huge people. And they, they said that they were too great or too, too strong for us. I cannot drive them out. They would destroy us. We're here to die. God didn't kill us all. It was terrible. That was their... I'm paraphrasing, of course, 
That, that's essentially what they said. We're all going to die. Um, and, and the people agreed. The people they were talking to agreed. So uh, this has a conundrum. There's a problem here. Not a problem that's where the text is concerned, but a problem is in how people think. So I don't have to answer the question, but think about it for a minute. Let's pretend for just a moment you were back there and you heard you were in the audience and the 10 spies gave the report, Joshua Caleb gave the report, blah, 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 they went back and forth and arguing, you know, we, this is terrible and no, this is great, yada, 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 back and forth. And you're just an ordinary schmo in the audience. You're, you're hearing it, you're hearing from, maybe you're, you're in the background or whatever, you're popping up somebody's his head, oh, I can't quite hear him, what do you say? Kind of thing as far as how big the audience was, I'm not quite sure. So they have this audience and let's pretend for a minute you personally agreed with Joshua and Caleb. Though the people around you did not. But you did. Now, I'm, this is a hypothetical. I don't know if we actually did. There were like hundreds of thousands or if not millions, who knows, plus people there. Maybe there was not a single living soul who agreed with Joshua and Caleb, except those two. But let's pretend for a minute that there was, that you were one of them. You, you actually agree with them. And then you get the same consequence that everybody else got 40 years. Now, instinctively, we would say, that's not fair, but I, I agree. I, I want to go. Why am I getting punished for I disagree with these crazy people around me who think that this is too dangerous? So instinctively, in, hum, in human terms, they well, this isn't fair, God. I, I'm not being treated right. I want to go. I agree with Joshua and Caleb. Why, am I, why do I get to, not only not do I get to let go, but on top of that, I get to die here because I'm not allowed to go. Unlike Joshua and Caleb who do get to go, they get to go in, but I don't get to even though I agree with them. I mean, at, least, at least 40 years from now, they get to go and I won't, be, I won't be alive, but they'll be alive and they get to go and I don't. How is this fair? How is this right? How is this? This is, this is unjust. This is, seems strange. Well, let's talk about a little bit here about this today because this is where other, other elements come up. It's not the only instance we're discussing. Uh, let's, we can also jump down to other examples here in, let's see here, verse, oh, same chapter. Jump down to verse 25. We have a, we'll give another scenario of, of, of a, a seemingly unjust situation. Verse 25. The carved images of their gods you shall burn in the fire. You shall not covet and take for yourself the silver or gold is on them. That you should be ensnared by it for it is an abomination to Jehovah your God. You shall not bring an abomination to your home, become banned like it. You shall surely loathe it and you shall surely abominate for it is banned. That sounds fair. That's reasonable. Okay, we, we get that. No, 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 no other gods, no other stuff like that. Well, we have a scenario. I remember the guy named Aiken or Akan. Oh, sorry. This is a comment that someone's written. It says, uh, this is an argument about people make about Adam and Eve's sin at the tree of knowledge and their sin condemned us all to his misery. Exactly. It's the exact same argument. Same, same, same point. This is what we're discussing. We're discussing this topic today. I think it's a fascinating topic. It's why it's worth, worthwhile talking about. It's a common, commonly brought up argument that, hey, it wasn't me. I t- why am I being punished for me else's mistake? Okay, kind, of, kind of scenario. So this, this happens multiple times because um, it seems contradictory in certain scenarios. We'll discuss those because they're going to pop up a, a little bit actually in probably your own lives. So, jump, so we just read verse 25 of, of Deuteronomy 7. Well, Achan, Achan, 
if you guys remember Aiken, um, <laughs> Aiken back, uh, that's an old joke. Anyway, so uh, Aiken, there was, and, and uh, Joshua. So in, this, in the book of Joshua, uh, Aiken is, let's see, Joshua chapter seven, I believe it's recorded, and it is, uh, where's verse seven? There it is. Defeated I. So leading up to this point of Joshua seven, the people of Israel, Moses is obviously dead here at this point in time. People of Israel, they just conquered Jericho. I mean, the great walls falling down. Yay, yay, they all ran in, walls crushed, and everything got. But they were, people, citizens were all given instructions, all the Israelites given instructions, don't take anything. No food, no animals, no gold, no silver, no garments, no gods, no nothing. Take nothing. It all belongs to God. So, well, why does it all belong to God? Well, number one, God said so. But number two, <laughs> God's the one who took the walls down. The Israelites didn't take them down. God knocked them down. And so that, so you say, hey, I did the work. It's mine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, those people are dying at, um, on my will. I, I own them. Same principle with you came out of Egypt. I killed the firstborn. Therefore, I own all of you because I paid the price, even though we think, well, the first one was actually died. Yes, but God's the one who killed them and they were his kids. Imagine killing your own kids for some of for the other children. It's hard to do. So God, God is the one who say, I paid this price. I, it's my kids I killed. Therefore, they are my, I, I, I own it. So this principle, that's the, that's the setting. So all this, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to not touch it. Don't touch the garments. Don't touch the, the gold, the silver, the food, nothing. Leave it all. It all belongs to God. Let's see here. And then uh, that's Joshua chapter 7. reads this story. Uh, the children of Israel, the verse 1 of Joshua 7. Children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Ekran, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebedee, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the sacred cursed, the sacred things so to anger the Lord and burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east of the Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country, some men went to spy out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack. Uh, do not weary all the people, for there are people of I are very few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, the people, and they fled with the men of I. The men of I struck down about 36 men, for they chased them for the, before the gate as far as the Sherbim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of people melted and became like water. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face with the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust upon their heads. Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the, west, of the Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and, uh, and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus in your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed by covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before the enemies, but turned their backs for the enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, say to the people, and say, say to yourselves for tomorrow because 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is a cursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the cursed thing from among you. Pause. So we already know the culprit, the individual, because it's, it, it started in verse one, discussing this of this chapter, that Achan or Achan, he's the guy who is responsible for this event. So let me get this straight. We'll paraphrase this a little bit. One man takes some stuff out of Jericho. He's not supposed to. He hides about. He hides it, conceals it. No one else knows. Probably his wife and maybe kids do, but nobody else knows. He hid it and stuffed this tent. But everybody else pays the price for it. That sound right? That sounds strange, doesn't it? It should sound strange to us, our normal, normal thinking ears. Why is it that one man screwed up and yet everybody else is punished? Or like just like back with, with, with the 10 spies. What if somebody agreed with Joshua and Caleb and they still didn't get to go? They get to die. Well, they didn't agree with the 10 spies, but yet they get punished too. Let's continue a little bit here. We'll finish off this, this, this passage here in verse uh, 14, uh, Joshua 7. In the morning, there, therefore, you shall be brought before your, your tribes, and it shall be the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. The family which the Lord takes shall come by households. House which the Lord takes shall come by man by man. It shall be that who is taken with the cursed thing shall burn with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken, and brought the clan of Judah and took the family of the Zerites, and they brought the family of the Zerites man by man, and Zadi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the son of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Jerusalem, my son, I beg you, give glory to the God of Israel, and make a confession to him, and tell me now. What have you done? Do not hide it from me. And can answer Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And, they are, and, they, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Joshua sent messengers, and they ran the tent, and so there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver under it. They took them in the midst of, of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones. So there is this day. So the Lord turned the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Okay, let's grapple heads around this a little bit. So Ikin, obviously, he's the guy who did this work. He's the one who coveted and, and did, did these particular things out of Jericho because he desired them for his own personal gain. Uh, presumably, his wife and kids may have known about it. That's an assumption, of course. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have that uh, proven one way or the other. Uh, they may not have known. We don't. We don't. We don't know. But all of Israel paid for this price. Well, all of Israel. The three thousand men who went, who fought, thirty-six of them died. 
so their their households, their families lost loved ones because of this guy's actions. But why is it that God didn't just, as in our modern day philosophy, well, just strike Achan dead? That's fair. <laughs> he did it. He dies. Oh, all good and go. Let's move on. That'd be the easiest way, right? Just fix the guy who screwed up, give it to him, and move on. Well, God doesn't work that way, does he? Just like the, the 10 spies. He struck the 10 spies and killed them almost immediately. But all of Israel had to die for 40 years. It's a strange scenario, but this is the kind of scenario we're discussing. This is interesting problems. This is not the only ones we were talking about. There's others, there's other examples as well. We'll do one more today for now. We might go to more later. We'll see. So uh, we have another one, another example of choosing another God. These are, this, so we went through the example of a disobeying God. Oh, so it, uh, Jeff put out, why did all of Germany have to suffer for the evil Hitler? That's a great example. It's a good question. Now, obviously, there were soldiers that followed him, and there were some individuals who had no knowledge of what he was doing or limited knowledge and did not follow it. So it's kind of a strange scenario. We had to, to grapple our head around this scenario where single individuals can have over powering influence amongst everybody else to be in the scenario. We have another example. Uh, we'll go one more. This will be a relatively short one. I'm read all of it. It's too lengthy. But Judges chapter 17, another example of one guy does something and a whole lot of people have the consequence. These are just a few examples. There are a lot of them in, the, in, in, in our Bibles. We're just covering a few of them just to give a flavor of what kind of scenario we're looking for. The reason I'm coming through this is because when, you, when I or anybody reads something in a scripture, you say, I've heard that somewhere before. In the back of your head, I know, I've, I know I've heard that. I've read that somewhere. That's God's giving little crumb trails of go follow that trail. Go figure out where it was. Because God's saying, I want you to make the connection between these events. These matter. These are relevant to each other. So the ex- example, you have Judges chapter uh, 17. So this is this example of an individual person's idolatry. So we went through... The first two examples we gave, the 10 spies were doing something on behalf of all of Israel. Granted, they, they had their own report, but they were trying, they were, they represented all of Israel in the process of doing so. This was how, how the process was to work. So one can argue, well, they held a high office because they were representatives of spies, all, teach, all, all, uh, all 12 tribes, or yeah, 12 tribes. Levi wasn't part of them. The other 12 tribes. They, they were actually spies. So they kind of were like leaders. So leaders made the people sin. Therefore, the people all got suffered because they all sinned. Okay, sure. We can argue that. That's fine. Um, the, other, the other example like we, we had gone through was uh, Achan, or Achan, uh, is that he was doing it on behalf of God in the form he was obviously fighting. And they were all given explicit instructions. And so he obviously chose to to not follow or to not pay attention to or not, not, not obey those instructions. He's his, his desires or his intent overpower his own self-will or self-control. So while he was, he was doing on behalf of the people of God, he was like a representative of them and he was watching. So maybe, maybe that you could argue that Achan was that, was the kind of that somehow, somehow representation of all of Israel. I would say that's a stretch, but just saying you could argue that. Well, let's go to Judges 17. Yeah, 17. So Judges 17, we get to this individual. Uh, so read, I won't read the entire uh, passage because it covers a couple different chapters. Or the first few verses of 17, actually all of 17, and then we'll jump down to like the, the, the latter 
third or so, latter half, sorry, of chapter 18. So I, I won't read all of it. It's too, too, too excessive. So Judges 17 says, now there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. We all know this story. We've heard the story a lot of times past because it's fascinating. He, he said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you c- c- put a curse, even saying in my own ears, here is a silver with, with, with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the, my, by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, so they said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Therefore, now I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, gave to them the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons, became his priest. In those days, there's no king of Israel ever did was right his own eyes. Pause. Mark, see, just, just pause it for a minute. So now we have a scenario, by the way, in case you're, we'll get there shortly. Uh, 18 tells you what's going on a little bit on timing wise. So this story of Micah, though, occur, occurs toward the tail end of Judges, actually occurs really, really early on. So Joshua probably may have actually still been alive when this event takes place. So it's it, it debatable as far as exactly his exact age, age and death. I say that because Moses' grandson is still alive at this point in time. So it's possible Joshua is still alive at this time. So Micah, who's just an ordinary man, he's not some massive leader, not in charge of some tribe, really important household, none of the stuff, ordinary guy. He steals from his mom. I don't know how old he was. That's pretty rotten to steal from your parents. But anyway, he steals from his mom, a bunch of silver, uh, and, and, and she curses. Obviously, he, he, gives the, he gives the explanation that she had cursed because of it. She cursed the individual who stole her, her 1,100 pieces of silver. He steals it. He's, okay, okay, I, I heard the curse here, mom, confessing, you know, moment of truth. I took it. So that's fine. Uh, thanks for bringing it back. May God bless you. Now go make a molded image out of it, a, a, a carved image. Okay, <laughs> so they're supposed to be following God. We just heard the Torah portion that don't don't make these images. These are not don't don't cover them. Don't take them. Don't take gold. Don't take nothing of nothing of them at all. We just got to reading that in the Torah portion. But so and Micah's Micah probably may have even met. He probably yeah he would have met Moses. Yeah, Micah was old enough to have known Moses. So yeah, Micah even probably knew Moses. Um, maybe not personally, but as far as knew of him or probably saw him a few times. So we have the snare that he's. He's just been given this long spiel through the book of Deuteronomy about not doing this stuff. His mother, of course, did too. She got the same spiel. She was there around too. And now they're going to take the silver and make one of the most fundamental things you don't do, a carved image uh, to make a shrine, a worship thing that you worship. Now, we say, well, at least he just messed up his own personal household. So he, he's doing this in his own personal family, screwing up. That's their problem. May God deal with them and their own family and may everybody else be, you know, not, not be corrected for it. Sounds tolerable, though not great. Sounds tolerable. God says, well, that we would hope that God would say, well, just focus my attention upon Micah because we already learned from Aaron's death of his first two sons that when you get closer to God, he's going to look at you more clearly. And that's a dangerous thing. He requires a, a, there's more requirement of you, the more 
more more more more clear. He 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 looks at you. It's kind of like, for example, let's put yourself here in a classroom. Teacher asks a question, and you pop your hand up really, really high and jump people down as if you know the answer. Well, the whole point is you want to get the teacher's attention. You know, to pick you because you know the answer. That's the idea. Well, clearly you want to look at you, to acknowledge you, to note that hey, you're the one who's jumping up and down. You, you, you can't sit in your seat because you do this answer. You you want you want to answer as the question so thoroughly, and so you get called upon. So the idea is to. The more attention you get, the more closely you want someone to look at you. Therefore, you have the response, proper response. So we understood that from Aaron's his first two sons dying because they were really close to God. Say, "Oh wow, God's here! Quick, let's put this censers, put some smoke on it, some fire on it, and give it to God." As if they jumped up and say, "Hey, God, you look, look at us! Look at us! Look at us! We're right here!" And God's saying, "Yeah, I did look at you, and now you're dead because I didn't tell you to do that, and you don't you don't mess with God's uh, sequence of events. He has procedures you follow." So they had the the raw the the, the 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 cooked end of that of that barbecue stick, so to speak. Ah, I'm so funny. <laughs> let's move on. So uh, let's see. So in this case, Micah he is a single person, single household. I don't know how big a household he has. He obviously has some kids. I, I doubt he's necessarily in charge in a particular uh, particular uh, tribe per se. So going through this, so he makes this one thing we're supposed to not do. But he does it. And then, not only that, he puts with his own sons, mind you, he's from the tribe of Ephraim, not from Levi. He puts with his own sons as a priest for himself. He doesn't even pick a Levite priest. <clears throat> now, uh, let's go back to you on. See, now, verse uh, 7. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was show- sojourning there. That man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah and sojourned wherever he could find a place then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to sojourn. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. The Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became one of, like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the, the young man became his priest, and he lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now, now I know the Lord will be good to me, so I have Levite as a priest. Mind you, he still has an idol. So he suckered in this Levite, so you're going to priest me. Now I have this ephod, the little shrine built, this idol built. You're going to worship, I can worship these things, worship our God in this fashion, which he, God specifically said, don't do that. And Levites are supposed to know that. We don't do that. So instead of Levites saying, um, sure, get rid of this garbage. He didn't do that. <laughs> we're going to say, yeah, we're, we're, we're keeping it apparently. So we're going to jump down as, so a few things take place. Jump to a little bit of uh, a little history goes on here. So the tribe of Dan is trying to expand. They send some spies up. We're not going through all this. The story. We're, we're skipping through this for, for lack of time. Send some spies up to go uh, to, to spy out some territory up the north part of, of, of the land, and they pass, pass Micah's house. Now, in this story, the Micah's house, uh, these five men, as they're passing through, uh, they 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 recognized the sound of Levite's voice. Because they knew him, they knew him quite well. He was not just an, an, any ordinary Levite per se. Uh, let's see. So they had asked. They 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 they, they talked to Micah and see what's going on and yada yada yada. They Micah. So they asked Levite. Levite says, "Yeah, go. Your journey be great." They go up. They spy out. They come back. They go back to Dan. Get the whole tribe together. Let's go up and take the territory. That's the the, the nut nutshell of that part of the story. Now jump down to verse fifteen of eighteen. 
So they, for the entire, um, the, the, the people of all the, the 600 men for, for, of, of Dan, they turned aside and it came to the house, the young Levite man, that is the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men went with their weapons of war, who were the children of Dan, stood at the entrance of the gate. Then the five men who had gone to spy the land went up, and entering there, they took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest took the priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the Caesar men who were armed with weapons of war. When these went to Micah's house and took the graven image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? This is, they said to him, Be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. It is better for you to be a priest. The, is it better if you'd be a priest the house of one man or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family of Israel? So the priest's heart was glad. <laughs> and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image and took his place among the people. And they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. When they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the house near Micah's home gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out the children of Dan so they turned around and said, what ails you that you have gathered to such a company against us? So he said, you have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priests that you have gone away. Now, what more do I have? How can you say to me, what ails you? So Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us. These angry men fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. So Joseph and Dan went their way. And when Micah saw they were too strong for him, he turned went back to his house. So they, so they, so they, uh, they took the, the things Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him and went to Laish, to people who were quiet and secure. They struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was too far from Sidon, and they had no ties with, uh, with anyone. It was in the valley that belonged to Bethreov, so they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of the fourth city was formerly was Laish. Children of Israel set up for themselves a carved image, the Jonathan, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, or Moses, and his sons were priests of the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. They said to themselves, Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So, what I just explained there in verse uh, 30, it identifies Jonathan, son of Gershom, your verse 30 says, uh, son of Manasseh, that is in Hebrew that, sell, that, that, that says, Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses. It's not Manasseh, it's Moses. The end there is an add-on that was scribbled in in all the texts because they didn't want to humiliate Moses to know that his own grandson was this particular Levite. So they re-spelled his name with an end and they made the end a funky shape. So everybody knows that, yeah, I see Manasseh. In reality, it's Moses, but I won't, I won't say that out loud when I read the text because it's embarrassing to Moses. So in Gershom, of course, was Moses' son. We already know that from previous uh, Torah portions. So it, we had the scenario that, so Jonathan, Moses' grandson, is this Levite who's doing all this stuff. So we asked ourselves, let's go back a little bit. We discussed earlier that Micah made this carved image. It seemed to be just localized to his personal household, right? His own wife, his own sons, his, his mom, his household shrine. Didn't really bother a whole lot of people. But then that expanded. We now incorporated not just his own household. We also corrupted Jonathan, 
the grandson of Moses. He gets brought in or roped into this whole scenario. So now his, his household, his corruption went from one scale and went up a little bit more to include Jonathan, the son of the, the, the Levite. And then as time progresses, we don't show how much time lapses, that as of course the tribe of Dan, it went from Micah's size family screw up to Micah and the Levite, Jonathan's screw up from that side to the whole tribe of Dan screw up. So we can see the progression of corruption, how it messed up, even though it was localized to a specific individual initially, how much it grew and grew and grew and why it taking up an entire tribe and only just tribe temporarily, but for the entire year for like 500 years. Uh, Long that most almost, almost uh, crud. How long was it? About uh, 800 years, about eight, 700, 700 years for 700 years. The tribe of Dan depended upon this Levite, his descendants and these idols that they worshiped for se- the following 700 years. That's corruption. <laughs> That's expansion. That's destruction of, of, of people. So the example we've really given here, these three examples we cited so far, where the 10 spies, who they, their words disheartened the people, and the people then all suffered from their own words, those, those, those spies' words. And even though you may not have agreed with them, you may have said, no, 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 I agree with Jonathan and I agree with Caleb if you were there, but obviously you weren't, you still suffered with them. That seemed, seemed a bit unfair. It seemed like, well, that's, that, is, that, is that justified? Is that right? I, I, didn't, I wasn't part of it. I wasn't part of that type of process. Well, this is how this consequence worked. And then we went to the second example, which of course was Achan. His stealing uh, affected not just his own personal family, which he thought was. It was just, hey, I was just going to stuff the stuff in my own tent, on the ground, no one's looking, I'm going to have my own land, I'll do, buy some more property, buy whatever I want, I'll be rich, I'll be famous, I'll be great, wonderful. He thought it affected him, but it didn't. It affected at least 36 of men because they lost their lives. 36 men lost their lives later on. And of course, all of Israel then later, of course, his wife, he, he at least, I assume his wife too was included, um, his, his children and his stuff were all taken and burned and destroyed. So it affected not just him, it affected his whole family as well. Obviously, they all suffered from his mistakes or his willful disobedience. Now we have the third example we gave, which is Micah. It, uh, seemingly innocuous screw up as far as a single individual desired to make a carved image, an idol to worship uh, that hopefully would just affect his own family, but it didn't. It expanded from there and grew and affected others. It affected obviously Jonathan, the, the grandmother's grandson. And of course, it, expanded, it affected the entire tribe of Dan. So it affected everybody as it grew and grew and grew. And the principle being with these that as was brought up with the conversation here in the chat, so one man screws up and affects a whole lot of people. That seemed right. That seemed fair. Well, and typically, we'd, if, I, if it was my kids, if I had, f- I had five kids, right? If one kid screws up and I punish all five of them, the other four would say, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not fair. I didn't do it. He did or she did. It was her fault. I wasn't. Why am I being punished? And I get this whole long, long standing argument, right? Because it affects everybody. And we would say, okay, well, maybe so-and-so did it. I get that. They should punish more. Because this, this negotiation process of who deserves more punishment than the other, that kind of thing, is, which happens all the time. Uh, anyway, so that, that's the cycle which happens. We, we know that happens in our own, at least my household. I'm sure yours is probably similar. So we have these scenarios we've got. So um, we need to apply some of these concepts to what we're, what we're learning here. So if one man's sins or even in the case of spies, it was 10 men, 
their sins affect everybody else's domino effect affects everybody. That helps explain a little bit about Apostle Paul's comment in Philippians of two saying, let nothing to be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. All right. That's a basic principle. So, in the case we have with these, these men, the 10 men, they, what was their, the 10 spies, what was their personal interest? These giants are big. I don't want to die. Therefore, I say to myself, let's not go. Okay. <laughs> Basic fundamental. These guys are really big, the big swords, whatever they got. I don't want to die. The, I don't want my kids to die. I don't want my wife to be taken a spoil. I don't want my, nothing else. So I'm not going to do it. If I'm not going to do it. I convince everybody else, you're not going to do it either. That's their motive. I don't want to do it. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to die. I don't want to lose anything. Therefore, I'm not going to go. I'm going to convince all of you. You're not going to go. Was he looking after his own interests? Yes. Everybody else's interests? Yeah, you could argue that, but probably not so much. Everybody else didn't see the see the giants. Obviously, Joshua and Caleb did, but nobody else did. They weren't. And Joshua were not worried about that. Joshua were not worried about the risks involved. He said, let's let's go anyway. And they obviously had the everybody had the interest of everyone in, in, in heart, but in this instance, the ten spies were more focused on their own fears, their own concerns, and convinced everybody else accordingly. And of course, Achan was he concerned about everybody's well-being at Jericho? No. What he saw, I saw Babylonian garments, some gold and silver. Said, "No one's looking. I'll take that." And now I'm rich. All about the me. So in both instances, those men, the, the ten spies and, and, and Achan, were not focused on other people's well-being, or other people's care, or other or how, the, how it affects the whole community. Were they? They affect about how it affects them, themselves, or personal viewpoint right in front of them. What I can see affects me. What I can't see, I don't care about. That kind of principle. In the case of Micah, we have the exact same principle applied as well. He said, well, this is a garbed image. This, my mom wants it. We'll go ahead and make this. We'll make a shrine. It affects my family. My family's all set. We're great. Wonderful. But he did not pay attention to the own words he most likely heard because he was probably a similar age. Actually, Nathan, Jonathan was considered like a son of his. And Jonathan was around because Moses, because Moses had grandkids. And so Micah was a bit older. Therefore, Micah heard the same words Jonathan heard. And therefore, he would have heard Moses say these words, don't do this. What does they say? The company has faithfulness of one, mercy for many. Hallelujah. <laughs> exactly. So now we have these scenarios, these three scenarios. Now let's go back to the Torah portion because Moses says, hey, remember these events? In his time, he wasn't alive for Achan's scenario, nor was he alive for Micah's scenario, but he was alive, of course, to 10 spies. We know about that part. But in these events, what did Moses say took place? Now, when he was going through, uh, remember the Exodus in chapter 9, Moses goes through and says, hey, guys, Remember the stuff you did with the whole the golden calf and the I was up in the mountains for forty days, forty nights, you know, not eating, not drinking, all on your behalf, getting these these, these stone tablets and the instructions from God, and, and all this great stuff. And I received them. It was great, it was wonderful. And God said, "Go down the cart themselves." Moses swoops down the cart, the, the, the mountain swoops. He runs down. He walked. Right, he comes down the mountain. He runs across Joshua. It's process. Joshua says, "Hey, what's going on?" Moses said, hey, there's something going on in the camp because Joshua wasn't part of it. He wasn't part of down there. Down the, he was halfway up the mountain too with, with Moses. He wasn't all the top, but he's like halfway up. They both come down and Moses sees the golden calf. Okay, he, he explains, he grinds it dust and such. And he goes through and he, he goes down to verse uh, chapter nine, jump down to verse, uh, which, where is it? Okay, verse uh, 18. 
of chapter nine of Deuteronomy. It says, then I threw myself down before Jehovah as the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. Bread did not eat, water did not drink because of your entire sin you committed to that to which was evil in the eyes of Jehovah, your God, to anger him. I was terrified of the wrath and blazing anguish which Jehovah had been provoked against, against you, to destroy you. Jehovah hearkened to me that time as well. Jehovah became ang- very angry with Aaron to destroy him. So I prayed for all for Aaron at that time. Your, your sin that you committed the calf, I took and burned it in the fire and pounded writing until it was well fed as dust. I threw it dust a brook and descended from the mountain. Pause. Hold it. Stop the presses here. We have an example. Moses explaining that all of Israel screwed up, and in particular. Now, we just got through three stories where people screwed up and everybody else was punished. But now Moses pointing out here, y'all screwed up and I didn't. And because I interviewed on behalf, everybody else was saved. That's funny math. One man screw up, y'all get punished. One man's righteous, y'all get saved. That's fascinating, isn't it? So God doesn't work the way we do, does he? He doesn't think the way we think, does he? We think, well, the individual person did something wrong, punish that individual person right there, and do nothing else to anybody else. That's what we think. That's, no, 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 no. That's not how I work. You're a community. You're a people. One person messes you all up. One other person saves all of you. That's interesting math. So this makes sense, though. Meaning, it makes sense in what we what we know about our God. Go back and recall Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was going through a negotiation process. Remember that he was trying to say, "Well, okay, God, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are fifty righteous people in it?" God said, "No." So in that instance, Abraham is pointing out, and God's agreeing that amongst the whole cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if there are fifty people in there, I don't know how many, but there were, maybe there were, I don't know how, what the population was, thousand, five hundred, who knows? If there are fifty people in the city, both cities or one city, I'm not sure which one. I don't know if he was accumulating them or just individual. Fifty people in the city, he would save the whole town, save, save, save it all. He wouldn't kill them all off. Those fifty people would justify the whole town's salvation. Of course, he whittles it down to 40 and 30 and 20 and then 10. So 10 people would save the whole city's life. So just 10 people, right? People, everybody else being corrupt. We, we, went through, we remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how those, the people were going to know whatever that means, usually sexual. They, they, the angels that came and they were to destroy and anger with law for judging them. And all the men were trying to grope for the door, all this craziness. That's the kind of people that were in Sodom. But if there were 10 people in Sodom, just 10 of them, that behavior God would overlook and save the entire of both cities. That's fascinating. So it appears that the way God does math is that if one person can save you all and one person can condemn you all. Now back to Philippians. So what's Paul saying? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Hmm. So I am not 
strictly responsible for my own behavior. I am, but I'm also responsible for looking out the interests of my others. Who are my others? Well, I say my family clearly, my spiritual family, my friends, my community, or my city, my county, my state, my nation. Now, Jeremiah says, hey guys, you're responsible for your whole nation. That's his words. You pray for all of their peace. So in others, in Jeremiah's world, is everybody. Yeah, who's my neighbor? Who's the person looking out for? Well, Jeremiah said, everybody in particular, your whole nation, if you look out for. So let's go back and think about this. Let's think about this in our heads a little bit. Messiah said he only does what his father showed him to do. So he, he knows what God is like. He understands what the, the story, the, the Torah, he knows what's going on. He obeys, he follows what God's example is. Well, if God's example is look out for the interest of everybody because one man can save the entire community. Therefore, Messiah's actions make perfect sense. Because one man can look out for the whole community. He can save everybody. So we have this context that Moses is explaining, hey guys, this is what I did for you. Now, I don't know if Moses previously disclosed all this information before Deuteronomy is re-recorded here. I don't know if back in Exodus, he told them at the time, by the way, Aaron, you're the chopping block. God's got to you know, sort his head, hand into hidden for your head, lopping it off pretty quick. I don't know if Moses disclosed that or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. By the way, at this point in time, after Aaron's dead, of course, he is explaining, hey, this is what happened. You all may not have known it, but you're all this close to being dead, including Joshua. This is back in the golden cat before Joshua was a good guy. <laughs> the fine print at Sinai. I get it. And so, so in, in, in the, the fine detail print, the 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 the, 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 comes, come, the details come along after the story comes along. So we have this example. We have these scenarios where, if if I commit sins, transgressions, iniquities, they affect obviously not just me and my possibly my immediate family. They're also going to affect my community, my neighborhood, my city, my my state, my nation. All of God's people. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying that I personally think it's that important. The point is that an individual can affect a whole lot of series. They only see what's in front of them. Micah saw what was in front of him. Didn't pay attention to how much it would affect the entire da- tribe of Dan. Did it? That screwed the whole tribe up. Some argue this probably one of the reasons why the tribe was 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 not included in in the Revelation story as far as the salvation of the tribe being saved. I don't know if it's true. That's just a theory. But the point is that there, there, there are d- debates about what happened to Dan because, it, because of, of the scenario that was, the things that he went through and what he, and what he did or the tribe did. So these are the type of stories we're going through. We're ex- examining that it applies, essentially this, this behavior applies both directions. It can, it can apply in the example of, uh, of, of a corruption affecting everybody, even though it's small, it's kind of like cancer, it grows. You know, it's small, it grows and grows and grows and can metastasize and expand a whole lot of places, a whole lot of places and, and kill, kill the whole body. Or, and also righteousness, healing can actually grow from one spot. Can you want, if you nurture the growth, nurture the healing, can you, and can heal the whole body. This principle that righteous can do it as well as corruption can do it. Both have the same effect. Both have the same ability to Holy destroyer, holy save. 
Just one individual can do it. Uh, Haggai chapter two. That's not fair. Just typing it in. I have to go find it now. Thanks, Jeff. Haggai chapter two. Uh, it's a smaller book. There he is. Haggai chapter two. Uh, oh, by the lot. Yes, that's that's that that's okay. That's what you're referring to. So yeah, so the, the, the cornerstone. So there's the, the, the choice of of, of the one that the people reject the cornerstone. Yeah, yeah. We we know the story pretty well as far as God being. Uh, Beside being selected, and Zerubbabel, the one who who's, who's measuring out the line. So that was the principle of Haggai too. The point that one individual, the whole the whole nation, we found on a particular person who, in this case, was Messiah, but was Haggai's referencing him to it, can be can be founded upon that, and everything builds up above it. As long as the stone is strong, it builds well. You can build the the house on the sand too, although sometimes that actually works. Um, on sand too, it can be soft and movable, which you wouldn't want. So corruption, of course, can destroy the whole house as well. With this, 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 this blend. I have a few more minutes left. So we could, a, few more, a few more details along this, this whole process. So, okay. So we have these, these, these scenarios. So we ask ourselves, all right, Moses, Deuteronomy, Torah portion. All right, Moses, we have this, this scenario. You explained to us that um, we can corrupt all of ourselves or we can be saved all of ourselves, but the acts of a single individual can do this. Not saying that we all should depend upon one person, all of us, that we live our corrupt, happy, happy self-pleasure lives, as long as one person is saved, it is good and clean. Not, not, that's not a willful, they're not arguing that. The point is that an individual has the ability within them to save a whole people, a whole people group, a whole community. Uh, and also the individual has the ability to destroy a whole community, a whole people group as far as their actions. So it goes both ways. Uh, let's see here. And then, and one of the main components that we see across, as it's been explained to us in chapter uh, eight and nine, is one of the big issues we have here is that one of the solutions or sequences of corruption comes by our own prosperity, our own enjoyment of our lives. We allow corruption, this destruction to work its way in. The fact that, hey, my life is great. I got, uh, I have a house, got a car, kids, food, clothing, everything's wonderful, good job, all these great, wonderful things, all these great blessings that God's given to me and say, and I earned it all. It's all me. As opposed to saying, no, it's all from God. <laughs> well, yeah, details, right? No, it, it, it actually matters. You will note that in the Torah portion we discussed, there is something a bit different about the land that Moses bring them into. I'm bringing this up because it matters. It probably goes for the fall. <laughs> and it matters is that um, God, Moses points out that the land you were coming from, Egypt, when you were far away from God, your own corrupt, selfish, self-interested, not caring about anything else type of life, that land, he said, it was simple. You planted the crops. You hand water them. You were dependent upon yourself. You were responsible for your own well-being. You planted your own crops. You watered them. You harvested them. You took care of them. You weeded them. You picked out the bugs off the tomato plants. You did the whole, that was your job. You did it all. However, the land you're going to, because now you're closer to God, Layer two is not so easy. Moses points out that in this land, it's going to the mountains and valleys. You don't get to depend upon yourself to water your crops. 
God has to do it. And we ask ourselves, so they went from a land that was far away from God where life was easier. They're going to a land that is close to God where life is more dependent upon him and harder. Huh. I think that makes sense. Is it easier to walk a righteous life than it is to walk a corrupt life? Actually, corrupt is easy. <laughs> it's all around you. It takes very little effort to be corrupt. It takes a lot more effort to be righteous, doesn't it? So Moses' explanation that you're going to a place that God, that God has his eyes on all the time. He waters it or he gives it drought. He blesses and he curses it. It's not like Egypt. Egypt, you were responsible for yourself. You went and grabbed the water and you bucketed it out to your crops. That was your job. This then doesn't work that way. It's like almost like we got closer to God, but as a result, became more dependent on him. Which actually makes sense. The closer you are to him, the more blessings you receive. Because we pointed out in, in chapter 7, verse 12, we started out this process. You want the rewards, requires your obedience. Well, in this ledger going to, the rewards strictly come from God. They're not your own doing. You have no control over them. You want those rewards? It's going to require obedience. You want the blessings from God? You have to obey his instructions. This is how the process is supposed to work. As we explained earlier, earlier multiple times the years past, the closer you are to God, the more he requires of you. So the closer you are to God's land, the more dependent upon you're going to, uh, him you're going to be. Now, let's translate into Christianity concept of New Testament. When you're in the New Jerusalem, what's the center of New Jerusalem? It's God and Messiah. <laughs> they are the center of it. Could you imagine a new Jerusalem with God and Messiah not in it? For it wasn't dependent upon them for their light and righteousness and holiness and sustainability? Well, it wouldn't be New Jerusalem, would it? It'd be just ordinary, you know, Podunkville down the, down the street. The point is that the closer you are to him, note the more dependence we are on him. That's the principle Moses is pointing out at this stereo, this scenario. He explained this chapter, this passage, that, that the people, the land you're going to is not like where you came from. Where you came from was easy. Yeah, you were slaves, but it was easy land. Land was easy to, easy to water you. It was flat, right next to water. You haul water in. It was no, no real effort, effort to make, the, make the, the crops grow. They grew, obviously, you're physically watering them, but that they grew themselves. Land you're going to, you don't get to do that because there's no water to grab. The water comes only at the blessings from God. So you become more dependent on him. You're closer to him. You become more dependent upon him. The more blessings you get from him, guess what? The more dependent you are on him for those blessings. It's a continuous like self-fulfilling a snowball effect. <laughs> Joe Shmuley of Podunkas. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, poor Joe Shmuley. Yes, he lived, he, he, he lived in, 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 in the easy land. Now, now, he gets, uh, now he gets lost. Uh, poor guy. He'll survive, maybe. Maybe not. Oh, so let's, let's, let's I'm jump this to... Um, yeah, so chapter 10. Let's go to chapter 10. Uh, did you already 10? Because we're, we're going to discuss a little bit of details about how this is supposed to work. So chapter 10, verse 12, is the type of behavior. So... We get the example of Achan, or Achan, 
got the example of the 10 spies, got the example of Micah, got the example of Moses, as well as Aaron, for that matter, too. We talked about the whole Aaron, the whole gold calf thing. These are these different men and the different behaviors. And even we have the example technically of Joshua, too, and that as far as when he, when he sought out Achan and, and, and figured what, what, what had happened, the different kind of men, they all had their behaviors. Well, obedience is a behavior. It, it's how we, it's how we, it'd be, it'd be obedience, as far as obedience or following God's instructions, as far as perform them, obey, uh, uh, sorry, observe them, uh, obey them, perform them. Obey them. Observance? I forgot the word now. Hold on. I almost forgot that. It says, oh, observe, yeah, sorry, ordinances, neither hearken to, that's right, hearken to, obs- hearken is a type of, type of obeying. Hearken to, observe, and perform. Those are behaviors. Those things we actually do or don't do. So these behaviors are looking at, well, okay, God, if Moses' righteousness, the way, methodology which his behavior, he, he followed suit, saved all of Israel, granted, I realize they all died over the, past, over the 40 year span for the most part, but this, at that moment in time, it saved them. They didn't save long term, but it was there at that moment in time. And we have the Savior of Messiah saving everybody forever. But, and then we have uh, Achan, of course, cursing at least 36 men, plus all of Israel got injured by it. And we have Micah, whose whole tribe got cursed, or his tribe, but the tribe of Dan was cursed because of his actions. Uh, we have the, and of course, the 10 spies. All of Israel will suffer 40 years, because, or 38 additional years, because of their actions. So these, these are all behaviors these men did. These are things they did or didn't do. All, actually, these are all what they did. Technically, it's not a not doing. They actually all did it. They're all, they're all physical things they actually did, which messed them up or blessed, depending on what the scenario was. What kind of behaviors is God looking at? We're discussing, okay, God, I don't want to be like Achan. I don't want to be like Micah. I don't want to be like the 10 spies. I'll be more like Moses. What behavior am I looking for to get the blessings and to be a saving component, salvation component, as opposed to a cursing component, the destruction side? What behaviors are looking for? Well, of course, in verse in chapter uh, ten, uh, verse twelve. Now, O Israel, this is Deuteronomy ten, verse twelve. So, now, O Israel, what does Jehovah your God ask of you? Only to fear Jehovah your God, to go in all of His ways, to love Him. Now, mind you, pause. What made God love Abraham? Well, God said, Genesis eighteen, I love Abraham because. He's obedient to my ways in his household, and he'll teach his children. Okay, I got that. And to love him, if we go back to Jeremy 10, uh, verse uh, half of the 12. And to serve Jehovah your God with all your heart, with all your soul. To observe the commandments of Jehovah in his decrees, which I command you today, for your benefit. Ah, so he's pointing out, this is how you get blessed. This is the benefit, this is a blessing to you, is to do these things. Behold, Jehovah your God, are the heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, everything that is in it. Only your forefathers, Jehovah, cherished to love them. And he chose their offspring after them, which is you, from among all the peoples as this day. You should cut away the barrier of your heart. No longer stiffen your neck. For Jehovah, your God, he is a God of powers, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who does not show favor and who does not accept a bribe. He carries out the judgment of an orphan and widow and loves a proselyte to give him bread and garment. You shall love the proselyte, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. If your God shall you fear, him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave, 
and in his name shall you swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who did for you these great and awesome things that your eyes saw. With seventy souls did your ancestors descend to Egypt, and now your God, your God, has made you like the stars of heaven for abundance. That's our behavior. Our behavior is listed there. Now, this is the only place. It listed a lot of places in the Torah, but this is the, the nutshell as far as in this context. And that your, your love of God is the behavior he's looking for. And how do we demonstrate that love? He points out, he loves you, he loved Abraham, because when he was obedient and taught his kids. Paul also points out, this, in verse 19, you shall love the proselyte. So, Essentially, do what Messiah said he, Messiah did. Messiah said he's obe- he obeys what his father showed him. He, his, he lives his life the same way God showed him how to live life. Meaning he's mimicking God's behavior. So Messiah mimics God's behavior through the righteousness of the individual stories we have in the Torah or the, that he said it was good. So Messiah is mimicking God. So what's our responsibility? Go mimic God. What does God want mimicked, matched, duplicated, copied? Well, he carries the judgment of the orphan, the widow, and loves the process to give him bread. So what do we do? Love the process, carry the judgment of the orphan, the widow, and, 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 and do the exact same thing he did. Uh, he asked to, to, to love God. Well, he, if, he, if he's telling us to love him, he loved Abraham, we should love him too. We're, we're, we're duplicating God's behavior. And what did Moses wind up doing? What did Messiah do? Messiah duplicated Moses' behavior. Because Moses pointed out he's the one who intervened on behalf of all of Israel. What did Messiah do? Intervened on behalf of all the world. <laughs> I'll pick those who believe at least. So he's mimicking the same behavior. So we're duplicating the behavior we read about. And that's the solution. That's what we get the one man saves a whole community. Or one man curses a whole community. The mimicking of the behavior. The comment earlier, why did all of Germany have to suffer the evil of Hitler? Because one man cursed the whole nation. Oh, why did Abraham, why, sorry, why did Adam, his, his sin condemn all of mankind? Because one man cursed all of mankind. Why did Moses' intervention save all of Israel? Because one man's righteousness, dedication to God, the love of God, saved everybody, uh, the, the, that community. And why would what, what what Messiah's actions start to save all of mankind? Because God's love, he offers his own son. Messiah is, is the embodiment of that. The, 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 these, these, these actions are all fundamental to our, what, we, what we perceive for righteousness, striving for righteousness. So back to Paul's comment on Philippians. Oh, I, just, I just closed that. Shoot. Oh, well. Philippians is too small of a book, I tell you. It's a little one. Oh, well, I'm paraphrasing because I can't find it real quick. I'm out of time anyway. So the principle said, don't look after just your own personal interests, but everybody else's too. What's in their best interest? That's where a community, that's where we survive and strive and succeed. Does that make sense? Hope that makes sense. That was the principle I want to talk to you about regarding today. Uh, regarding our Torah portion, because I found it fascinating. Moses was explaining his intervention capability, what he did. So we went through um, the, the, the different ways which individuals can destroy a nation with the three examples I cited. There's more. I just cited those three. 
their own individual actions affected everybody. So we look at it's like a cancer; it affects the whole people. We when we observe a a a, a crime, a misery, or a self idol worship, which is really common in modern day self idol worship is the most common thing. It manifests its form of transgenderism. It's all about the oneself and and and, and all, all the sexual misbehaviors, self pleasure. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in our current society, but those events corrupt everybody they corrupt the whole world i mean have you not noticed how laws have changed and rules have changed and governance has changed for these strange bizarre behaviors so that affects everybody well we can't fix everybody but we can with our own own self own righteous abilities as far as okay god i'm not righteous by, by myself alone but my behavior i'm striving to follow mimic the pattern you gave me i'm the best i can i depend upon that I know Messiah died for me, so I know the mistakes, the errors I make will be covered, but that behavior can affect everybody, can make, can make intercession, as Jeremiah explained. I didn't wrote that passage, but Jeremiah pointed out that you, you want to pray for the peace of your whole nation. You want the, the, your, all your neighborhood, your whole city, your whole country, all to be prayed for, all to be focused on, because that is what affects the whole country. And through their peace, their success, their blessings, you get blessed also. You get to receive the blessing as well. Through Moses' intervention of all of Israel, guess what? Caleb was saved too. Joshua was saved too. Moses was saved at least for a while. Eventually, screwed up with the whole rock thing, but he was saved for a while. He was saved too for at least that period of time. Aaron as well. Everybody was saved at that moment in time through his behavior, though it didn't all last forever, but at least at that moment in time, they lasted. And it affected others for generations to come. Hence, we have our Torah, we have our Bibles, we read about it because of Moses' actions. Those are great blessings to us. Those behaviors are what we want to mimic. As pointed out in verse in chapter 7, this is your reward. You do these behaviors, you get blessed. Not just with salvation, but with actually blessings of, of, of good things, of prosperity, of multiplication of, of your, your land, your crops, your all the things you're striving for. We all work for a living, right? Well, most of us some are retired now, but the rest of us still are still working, not retired yet. <laughs> uh, we're still working for, we're still working to, to, to put food on the table. We're still striving for this. These are all things we strive for, so we know we want them and desire them. These blessings come through our obedience to God. Does that make sense? Hopefully, it makes sense. This is what I want to talk about. So I hope they covered it. Makes sense to you today. I, there's a few things I didn't get to. I apologize for that. Um, uh, well, in particular, the, there's some repetition things. It, it doesn't matter. Any comments or questions regarding this Torah portion we covered today about the the nature of uh, of Ikev and and what was what was covered in this in this Torah passage? I put you all asleep. <laughs> I did. Yeah, my family's asleep. One comment here, Daniel. That was that was really wonderful. Um, well, praise God. Presentation of the whole thing. Thank you. Well, God be blessed. One All right, more, then we'll have another question. Oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so Yeshua never said, uh, just act like me. So it's, it, it's kind of, right? <laughs> it's, you know, it's really, you got to look back to uh, the old stuff. You know? Right. It's, he didn't, yeah. I think you get on the complex and maybe you could almost say, well, this is the problem with Christianity. People are trying to, right. it, the imitation of Christ, you know. Some of theologians. Which, which sounds that. great. It sounds great. He's trying try to remember it. That, that's fine. But Christ is mimicking God. And he 
knew what that mimic looked like by all the people, the Torah and the prophets that explain what the mimic looks like. So mimicking Christ is kind of like a, it's just fine. The words, the words is, is fine. It's just that that only gives you one dimensional viewpoint in my pro, pro you have to, the, Christ was mimicking many individuals observe them all the oh this is the this is a better picture of what it looks like christ is a perfect photograph as far as what god's concerned as far as the, the life to live but the other individuals i'll be honest with you are not godlike they're people more like me right. <laughs> not sam moses but i'm i'm simpler so it makes sense i can mimic them easier than i can messiah in some ways amen You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.